WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And yesterday, the United States, and in particular the state of Texas, might have hit a new low when it came to confronting and ignoring the United States Constitution and mistreating immigrants. Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill passed by the Texas legislature at his request that gives extraordinary powers to the state of Texas, to its police, to its judges, to its courts, to its incarceral system, all to the disadvantage of persons who believe in due process, equal protection, and fundamental fairness. Buzz, you've been looking at this story today. I'm, I'm so affronted and I'm astonished. I think it's been about 240 years since we really had to discuss the difference. Who's the sovereign, the federal government or the state? In the arena of naturalization, there is a clause, Bill, as you know, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4, says that naturalization is within the purview of the federal government, not the states. But Greg Abbott and the Texas legislature believes that police should be able to arrest people who aren't documented under our immigration laws and state judges, not immigration judges, not immigration law judges, not federal judges, state judges can order the deportation of individuals. It's, well, first time in two and a half centuries that anybody has even thought that states have that power, but I guess Greg Abbott thinks so. Right. Section 8 of the uh, first article of the Constitution, which sets forth the powers of Congress, says that the Congress shall have the power to, and then there are a list of the powers that Congress has, and this says to establish a uniform and uniform rule of naturalization. Uh, it doesn't get much clearer than that, and it has been clearer since the clear since the founding of the country that it is the federal government's obligation and power to set the terms of naturalization uh, and immigration. But look, it's the state of Texas. These are judges appointed by Greg Abbott. This is a really right wing. Uh, part of the country. It is a really right-wing controlled state. The federal district courts are governed by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal, which is an ultra-right-wing court. And who, know, and, so. and who knows what this Supreme Court would do? Because it, now that the Supreme Court is an overtly political branch of government, um, notwithstanding some protestations on occasion from Chief Justice John Roberts, who knows? The Supreme Court might say, fine, Trump Go at it. We expect you to be president, and this is the country we want. My concern is that the statements of people like Mayor Eric Adams of the very highly democratic blue state of New York are going to be used in saying, well, states have a right to defend them, but their own interests, and that this influx of immigrants is damaging to the state, and therefore the state can take measures like take over the deportation decisions of people who are in this country. It, it's, it's overwhelming. It but. sounds extraordinary. It sounds impossible. But then where we are in this country politically sounds impossible. We used to say the Lone Star State. Well, we might be coming a whole bunch of Lone Star States in this country. I, I, I am appalled, but being appalled doesn't do any good. And whether or not the courts will actually stand firm against this usurpation of powers by a rogue governor and a rogue state legislature who are overtly right-wing. But well, you know, Bill, you know what is comforting? 
There are yeah, and in any, this country, and any comfort. I'd appreciate. Well, most. here you go. There are some lawyers, some immigration lawyers in this country who know what they're doing and who devote enormous amount of their time and energy to protect people's rights under the Constitution. Yes, and we, I think we have one of them in the studio today. We do indeed. We have Megan Clute, who is a partner in the Northampton-based law firm of Kernberger and Clute. And Megan, we invited initially, we're so pleased to have her today because we appreciate your thoughts on what happened in Texas. We're so pleased to have her today because we wanted to follow up on a very recent story in the Daily Hampshire Gazette front page on what her law firm is doing with regard to DACA recipients, persons who had or had that status. We want the update. Megan Clute, thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. And we want to know about what your firm and what you are doing with regard to DACA. Bring us up to date on that program. What is it? Where does it stand? And what are you doing? Please. May I just start with DACA? It is Deferred Action for -hmm. Childhood Arrivals. Those people who came to this country uh, born in another country, but have been in this country for a long time. Yep, that's right. And thank you for having me today. Um, yeah, so just to start off what the DACA program is, is this was created under President Obama in 2012. And it was meant to be a temporary measure to just get us to the DREAM Act. So the DREAM Act has been kind of kicking around Congress for decades. It now seems like it may not happen. And at the time, President Obama thought, well, maybe we just need something to tide us over. So he created by executive order a program that allowed people who came in as children to be able to have a status temporarily, and now it's been more than 10 years, and many, many of them, half a million, have been extending it uh, since then. So it applies to people who came in before the age of 16, and they had to have been under 31 at the time the program opened, and they had to have been here at least five years. So the oldest people under the program are in their early 40s now. Okay, let's go through those criteria again. Under President Obama, certain individuals in the country would receive this status, yes. uh, which allows them to do what? Hold that question for one thought for one second. Hold that thought for one second. Let's see if we can get some words in the right order. Uh, wh- what does the status allow them to do or allow them to do? And what was the DREAM Act? Or what is the DREAM Act? Well, the DREAM Act would actually provide a legal path through Congress for people in that same situation to be able to get a green card, have lawful permanent residence, eventually move on to citizenship. So that's the typical path. What this program does is it, <clears throat> it used the president's authority for something called deferred action, which is a discretionary benefit that a president can provide to allow somebody to stay for a certain amount of time. Previously, that was used in just very extreme humanitarian situations. It allows somebody to stay here. It allows them to work. It allows them to request a card to travel outside of the country, but it does not lead to anything else. Okay, let's stop there for one second. Deferred action childhood arrivals. This was a program or a policy or an executive order by President Obama who said these individuals are susceptible to being, to being uh, well, tossed out of the country, um, that they, they can, in fact, be uh, denied a- any status here. But I, as the yeah. president, have the authority to defer action. And for these childhood arrivals, I'm going to defer action, deferred action childhood arrivals. That's DACA. Yes, yes. And it's been under legal attack over the years because the question is, we, you know, we were talking about separation of powers. Does the president actually have the authority to create something like this? 
it's one thing if it's a discretionary one-off decision. Um, you know, you're looking at the facts of a unique case. But what President Obama did is he laid out a series of criteria and said that anyone who meets these criteria, more or less, will be eligible for this benefit. So the legal challenge mainly boils down to, is that something the president can do, basically creating a class and a series of benefits bypassing Congress? May, oh. may I just, I just want to interject uh, into this conversation, the, the paradigmatic, uh, truly I'm, I'm, I'm working on uh, sapping people's emotional energy, but <laughs> imagine somebody who had, can't remember the country they were born in, doesn't speak that language, they've been living here their entire life, just like American citizens' children have, and all of a sudden there's a threat of deportation back to a country they've never known, and a language they don't know, and a culture they don't know. That's that's the scenario, right, Megan? That, that's the scenario. It has been. Uh, President Obama tried to extend it. That was uh, didn't survive litigation. There's been a lot of litigation back and forth, and now there's been a case. I believe the decision was in September. A, a judge in Texas found that the whole program was illegal. So. That order is being appealed. We're going to see what happens if this hits the Supreme Court. It's a big question as to whether DACA will survive at all. How did DACA survive the Trump years? Uh, well, it did come under, well, President Trump almost immediately tried to remove DACA, and that was litigated. And essentially the ruling was not that he could not remove DACA, it's just that the way that he did it you know, properly following uh, notice and comment. Essentially, think of it this way. He rushed, this, he rushed the process of getting rid of it and didn't take into account all the appropriate factors. So he was basically not allowed to remove the program on a technicality. So DACA still exists. Can you just fill in for us a little more who are the individuals who have the status of DACA at the moment and why are they vulnerable? So, so these are people who... All of them came to the U.S. at the age of 15 or younger. Uh, many of them came in as infants. Uh, as Buzz mentioned, many of them don't know their home language. They, they've never been to their home country in a, at a time they could remember it. Uh, they've been here decades in many cases. And they're between the ages of 15 and, well, at this point, maybe 20 and 40, these the individuals. And they're all across the country doing all kinds of things. So we have some of them in unskilled labor, some of them in highly skilled labor, a lot of them at top of our, some of our top universities. We have medical doctors, researchers. Uh, a lot of these folks, before they got DACA, had already been in school and ad obtaining advanced degrees because they couldn't work. So they just continued to, um, you know, get more education and more and more qualified for their industries. Okay, so the individuals who have this DACA status. They were 15 years or younger when they came to the United States. Correct. They were, had been in the United States for a long period of time. How, how long did they have? At to? least five years. So at least from June 15, 2007. Okay. So they had to have been in the United States for at least five years, 15 or younger when they arrived here. There are a whole other series of uh, criteria, including no criminal record no uh, and other things like yes, that, right? There are, yeah. And how many individuals are there? There's about 580,000 right now. And is there, uh, is there a geographic area of the world from which they came, or are there from many different countries? Uh, many different countries, but probably the largest would be Mexico and, and then other countries from Latin America, because 
these are mostly people who came in unlawfully, their parents brought them in unlawfully. So statistically, most of those are people who were able to come over the southern border. Okay, so there are 580,000 individuals in the United States who think of this country as their country. Some have been here since they were infants. That's the only country they know. Uh, they have been contributing members of society. And as a uh, matter of one of the criterion for this program, there's no criminal involvement. And some of these individuals now 30, 40 years old. So to, mm -hmm. um, Okay, your firm. You are an immigration specialist. Your firm is an immigration law firm. You're based here in Northampton. What are you doing? So uh, right now we are involved in a project, mainly th through Cornell University and through a funder. The, the focus of this project now is actually in San Francisco in the Bay Area because this is the area of interest for that funder. But we're hoping this will be a model that we can use everywhere. And what we're doing is trying to interview as many DACA holders as we can, learn about their history, and try to find out what other immigration paths might exist for them that they've been perhaps overlooking all of these, these years because the program has been open for almost 12 years. Some of them by this time have employment relationships that have gone on for many years. They're highly educated, or perhaps they weren't 12 years ago. So there, there may be other options for them now if this program ends. Some of them have family-based options. Some of them may be eligible for asylum. Uh, so it's, but it's, it's interesting because it's a very broad range of things that these folks will qualify for. And usually immigration lawyers will focus in particular areas. So you have some immigration firms that focus on, you know, they'll work with Facebook and Apple and they do those kinds of petitions. And you have immigration firms that focus on family-based petitions and achievement-based petitions. But because these folks have been sort of doing everything for 12 years, they're kind of all over the place. Some of them are very highly paid and highly educated. Some are unskilled. Some have family cases. Some have humanitarian uh, paths. And we think that one thing we add is our firm really does specialize in everything. So what we think we bring to this project is the ability to look at somebody's case and analyze it from many different immigration lenses. So let me say this back to you, Megan Clute, <clears throat> partner in the Northampton Immigration Law Firm of uh, Kernberger and Clute. I want to know if I have this right. There are 580,000 persons in the United States who have DACA status today. They will be, if Trump is elected, uh, susceptible to being deported because Trump can end DACA. He did fail to do it in his first term, but he, as you said, only didn't get away with it because of a technicality. But presumably he learned how to do it, or at least someone around him can tell him how to do it legally now. Well, and I would say the even more immediate threat is this this decision holding when it goes up to the Supreme Court. Oh, the one from, yeah, from the, Texas. From Texas. This is what has triggered all of our action at this I point, see. is that this judge has decided... The that, DACA is that illegal. The, that the whole program is illegal. So that for now, people who hold DACA can continue to extend it, but anyone, who, any new applicants have already been barred. And the danger is that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, a very conservative anti-immigrant court, Would, is going to affirm this decision saying, right, DACA, you're yeah. dead. We're going to kill that program finally. Um, and then the Supreme Court will either deny review that could happen, yep. or the Supreme Court will say, we'll let the, one way or another, we'll let that Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision stand. That's right. 
yeah. all 580,000 persons would be subject to deportation. And what you're saying is that, wait a second, all of those individuals have focused on their DACA status. They renew it from time to time. They have to show that they're complying with all the criteria. And it is not, it is not an easy set of uh, criteria. But that said, there may be other avenues to a lawful immigration status, and that's what you're looking at. Exactly. Yep. So we're looking at that. We'd like to intake as many people as possible. So we're trying to come up with a system to gather lots of names and information and sort of sort people into the best way we can help them. And we're also recruiting law firms to help on a pro bono basis to do different kinds of applications. Uh, Some of them are immigration law firms who might specialize in families. Some might specialize in employment. And some people might need a combination of a waiver and employment. So we'll do special training for a law firm that wants to help but only knows one side of that. So it's really, uh, you know, with the clinic, with the law school too, training people on waivers, as many of them will need, training some people on employment-based immigration that don't know it. So it's, it's recruiting a lot of people to help on the back end because we would like to assign all the people we find to different law firms that want to help. 580,000 people in need of pro bono immigration lawyers. We'll find out if that's possible. And, and I just want to point out, in, in, the ones that I know, they're as American as you and I, but for that status. Oh, absolutely. They, they are just like us. We'll be many, back. Many of these students didn't even know that they were unlawfully here until they became, you know, it was, until it was time to go to school and they learned they didn't have a social security number like their brothers and sisters did. Yikes. We'll be back with Northampton-based immigration attorney Megan Clute right after this. They were standing in line just like cattle. Poked and sorted and shoved. Some were one desk away from freedom. Some were torn from someone they loved. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. Rachel Maddow's new book is Prequel, The American Fight Against Fascism. Get it now at Broadside Bookshop. Democracy Awakening, Notes on the State of America, is new from Heather Cox Richardson. And The Vaster Wilds is a new novel from Lauren Groff, a story of faith and survival set in the wilderness of early New England. Order any book on the Broadside website. Have it delivered anywhere or pick it up at the store. Then browse a bit. Broadside, Northampton's independent bookshop. Are you looking for space to host a private event? The Hangar Pub and Grill has you covered. Our Amherst, Westfield, and Pittsfield locations are perfect for birthday parties, reunions, corporate events, and more. Customizable menu options make party planning a breeze at an affordable price. Enjoy our award-winning wings along with our other in-house favorites. And don't forget the Amherst Brewing Beer. Visit hangarpub.com events to book today. 
Did you know you can get your prescriptions for less at your local pharmacy? You can with GoodRx. It's the free app that can save you money on your medications. Just search for your prescription, choose the pharmacy and the price that works best for you, and then show your GoodRx coupon to your pharmacist at the drop-off counter. GoodRx works at over 70,000 pharmacies, including Walmart, Rite Aid, and Walgreens, and it works whether you have insurance or not. It's easy to save. Next time you drop off your prescription, check GoodRx. To start saving today, go to GoodRx.com. GoodRx is not insurance. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Northampton-based immigration law specialist Megan Clute. We've been talking about this program that her firm has founded along with, I believe, a law school clinic looking at DACA recipients, DACA persons with DACA status, deferred action, childhood arrival, and exploring how they may have paths to status and citizenship that have not been explored. They are in danger today because of a ruling from a district court, federal district court judge in Texas said, DACA, dead, gone, finished, illegal. There is enormous trepidation that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals could affirm such a ruling and that the Supreme Court would either affirm it as well and or let it stand. Megan Clute, it sounds to me like you and your firm uh, and this pilot program in San Francisco are pushing boulders up mountains, but then we know you can push, we have seen you push uh, boulders up legal mountains. How possibly is this going to affect the immigration system? I'm looking for the good news, but it sounds like an enormous task. Make me feel better. Well, I, I don't know if I can talk about how it's going to make the immigration system better, uh, but but for this, uh, you know, really what we need is to get more attention to this issue. Uh, we're trying to rally a lot of employers who may not realize that their employees are in this status, trying to talk to law firms about it, get a little attention on it, because there's still a possibility that the DREAM Act could be approved. Okay, let me stop you there. Uh, can persons who have DACA status work legally? Yes, for now. And the DREAM Act has been pending in Congress for since Obama. Before um, that, yeah. Since before Obama. Mm-hmm. And what I would like to know is how you analyze the situation, that the DREAM Act, you say it could pass. And in fact, overwhelmingly, uh, public opinion polls show that the DREAM Act is supported overwhelmingly by Democrats and overwhelmingly by Republicans and independents. And yet it doesn't pass. Talk to me about that. Well, it's anything immigration-related is such a a touchy topic in Congress, and pretty much we haven't really had any comprehensive immigration reform in decades. So anything that happens, you know, I've had hope throughout my career many times that I thought some some big comprehensive reform would pass, and especially this one, which is so non-controversial and has so much widespread bipartisan support. But it's been so many years at this point, it's hard to... I mean, this is why President Obama did create the DACA program, because well, we can't wait forever for something to pass, and we have to find workarounds where we can. Uh, make include, uh, my understanding, what I'm confused about is, in, I think in 2020, there, there was a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court saying that, uh, that a judge had overstepped his or her uh, jurisdiction by ending DACA, and that DACA would continue. Do I have that wrong? Well, that was uh, the, President Trump's attempt to, to end it. So uh, Sessions had come out, and 
the attorney general under President Trump and announced the ending of the program. And so that that's what was challenged in litigation. Oh, that's what it was. So it, it wasn't that there was a court that found that it was illegal. It was that he was trying to undo an executive order saying this was an executive program. I'm going to undo it. I see. Uh, but the, the court found that the way he did it, he didn't consider all the factors and he didn't go through notice and comment and things like that. So... So it, did, it so didn't court, really find he couldn't do it. Right. The court ruling was not that he couldn't do it. The court Correct. ruling was he just didn't go through the procedural he, hoops exactly. that he needed to exactly. in order to end DACA. Exactly. So our thought at that time was, okay, well, this just tells him what to do if he wants to do it again. But now that it's gone the other direction, now there was litigation actually against um, the DACA program altogether and so far has been successful. That's the more immediate threat right now. Yeah. Not surprising that it was brought in the state of Texas. I would like to get your opinion on, on this, uh, Megan Clute, as an immigration law specialist, and I don't ask you to uh, give us the comprehensive answer to uh, everything that is wrong with politics in the United States, but is there any chance that this uh, uh, fight in Congress now about funding for Ukraine, which Republicans have tied to uh, immigration uh in the southern border, is there any chance that something good could come out of that in terms of our immigration system from your point of view? I wish I could say so right now. <laughs> oh, it's Christmas. <laughs> oh, what the heck? <laughs> sure, yes. yes. Well, I, I, I guess the one good thing is I, I would be very surprised if, if the, the new, what, what, you came, what you opened with when you were talking about Abbott's attempt to have the states have the rights to deport uh, foreign nationals, I... I do have hope that that won't survive legal scrutiny. And, and on this DACA case, the one that we're talking about with this dreadful opinion by this judge who was appointed by Trump, mm -hmm. um, it, I think his name is Paxton, the Attorney General of Texas, wrote that he's representing all states in his attack on DACA, uh, which I thought was a pretty presumptuous... Yeah. yeah, right. It was the Justice Department on, on what I consider the right side of things. And... and the Attorney General of Texas saying, I represent every state. Yeah, well, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. I, he represents the state of Texas. Well, Judge but, Hannon thought that he did. I, I understand that there's uh, law that when we were in law school, Buzz and Megan, we just said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You can't pass this course if you think like that, think like that or write like that or mm -hmm. analyze like that. But here we are. So Megan Clute, I think we've managed to depress a lot of uh, people who are with us this morning and this afternoon, and I would appreciate it if you could tell us what is the light here, what is the sliver of light. Well, for the, for the DACA program, we are we're feeling pretty optimistic. We're going to find other options for people, and they are difficult. Uh, during the break, Buzz had asked, you know, why haven't these people pursued it before? And it's because some of these options are really not easy. It takes a long time to get employment sponsorship and commitment from employers, and waivers are difficult. But with a lot of momentum behind this, some of these people may finally be able to get another status that makes them more permanent and can lead them towards a green card and citizenship so they can vote, so they can um, have all the rights that everyone else does. So if one good thing comes out of it is all of this energy may be able to help these people finally move on from DACA. And you're talking about finding, if I understand correctly what you're saying, representation for our 
580,000 people from pro bono lawyers across the United States. And law students, right? And law students. But you know, this program is, is narrow in scope because it's really focused on San Francisco. But the idea is how, how will this go? There's a lot of great law firms there. We already have a, a fantastic law school in Cornell and their clinic. So hopefully we will show that this can be done and this can be expanded and, and go to other cities because the, the larger percentage of people are in cities. So we can focus in cities. It will be, it'll be great. Now, not all 580,000 will have options, unfortunately, but we hope we'll find a, a large group that does. And Bill, as, as you know, I did represent a person who would fit this doctor criteria. And, um, and uh, were it not for Megan Clute, we prevailed. And, and we, we got him a green card. He's, next year, he's qualified for citizenship because he was able to get married yeah. while we were representing him. And uh, so Megan Clute and people like her can help a lot of people um, along the way. Well, that's a sliver of light, which we need. Megan Clute, thank you so much. We all are right. all in your debt. Thank you. We'll be, right, we'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Another bomb threat at the Beit HaVa Synagogue in Florence came in on Sunday. Massachusetts State Police Bomb Squad was dispatched after an email was received threatening multiple Jewish synagogues and centers across the state. The synagogue, which shares a space with the Florence Congregational Church and the Bombex Center for Arts and Equity, had received a similar threat nearly a month earlier. A man who broke into an Amherst home in the middle of the night in March of 2021 stole several items and then attempted to flee the house with a 20-month-old toddler was sentenced to serve 8 to 10 years in state prison, followed by five years on probation. 39-year-old Jimmy Sanchez pleaded guilty in Hampshire Superior Court yesterday. Assistant DA Matthew Russo says the significant prison sentence provides justice to the victim in the wake of an unthinkable incident. The heavy rainstorm yesterday dumped several inches of rain in the Northeast, triggering historic flooding levels for the month of December. Greenfield declared a state of emergency, which is now over, due to the high water levels on the Green and Deerfield Rivers, flooding roads and parking lots. One person had to be rescued after driving their car into the floodwaters in Florence. In Williamsburg, schools released students early. Nearly 5,000 power outages were reported across Western Mass. Greenfield City Councilor Jasper Lipinski is resigning just over a month after the city elections. Lipinski was elected to the council last year and was supposed to represent Precinct 7 through 2025. However, the councilor told the recorder they were frustrated with the city council's inability to act on issues of concern to them and interpersonal conflicts that made meetings less than amicable. Lipinski's resignation follows the resignation of Doug Mayo in September, who represented Precinct 8. Partly sunny today, breezy, a high of 40 to 44. At least it'll be dry. Clear skies tonight, evening temperatures in the 30s, an overnight low of 18 to 24. Mostly sunny on Wednesday, a high of 42 to 46. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. The holidays, baking, wrapping, decorating, and of course, shopping for that special gift. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. 
This holiday season, consider giving a private one-on-one personal training session with a Fitness Together gift card. Stop by our locations, Amherst or Northampton, to pick one up in person. Or give us a call and we'll drop one in the mail. Give a gift that keeps the ones you love fit and healthy. Happy holidays from all of us at Fitness Together. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money. Financial coaching coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com. And very much a change of pace, we have our monthly comedy quiz. Let me turn the microphone over to our comic-in-residence, Maddie Benjamin. Thank you, Bill, and good morning. Welcome to the Happier Valley Comedy Comedy Quiz Show. My name is Maddie Benjamin. I'm the program manager and facilitator of fun over at the Happier Valley Comedy Theater, and I'm the monthly nerd-in-residence here on the Comedy Quiz Show. This month, I am joined by Scott Braidman, Artistic Director at Happier Valley Comedy, Mandy Anderson, HVC performer, uh, longtime Valley resident, generally a fun person. Hi, Mandy. Hello, Maddie. <laughs> and our final... That certainly <laughs> sounds like fun. <laughs> Loads of fun. <laughs> Uh, she loves it. Uh, and finally, uh, WHMP's own Buzz Eisenberg is our final panelist today. How are you, Buzz? I'm fun, too. <laughs> Excellent. We're going to have a really good time, everybody. I'm a generally fun person, too, also. Okay, and we're going to give extra points for the most dour person we can find <laughs> in the studio today. And the competition is fierce. Yes, there is a... Oh, never mind. Go ahead, Maddie. Uh, thank you, Bill. Um, this month, I have prepared a quiz entitled December. It's about dinosaurs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's a dinosaur quiz, Mandy. I'm so bad with dinosaurs. Mandy's already winning. Don't worry. Uh, we'll run the gamut. All, lots of different things that you could know about dinosaurs. My best friend is a dinosaur, so. <laughs> I never met a dinosaur, so. And I never met a dinosaur I didn't like, so there we go. We, we cover the gambit here. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Let's jump on in with some multiple choice questions. We'll ease you in, Mandy, even if you don't know anything about dinosaurs. Uh, so when I'm referring to dinosaurs, I'm talking about any of a group of extinct and often large, mostly land-dwelling reptiles of the Mesozoic era, in case there was any doubt. Okay. Okay? All right. Question one. <laughs> uh by its origin, what does the word dinosaur mean? Uh, this is going to be a multiple choice. When you think you have the answer, uh, you can say your name and then what you believe the answer is. Was it, is it A, large beast? B, terrible lizard? C, scaly bird? Or D, scary monster? 
Mandy D, scary monster. That's it. Final beginning and <laughs> no one else answer. That's correct. Scary monster. Are we done? Is the quiz over? <laughs> oh, you are in for so much more fun, Mandy. Buckle up. <laughs> I say this is Buzz. I say scary beast. Scary beast. Uh, this is Scott. Uh, just coming in real quick with the correct answer, which is terrible lizard. Terrible lizard. And since I'm giving out the points and I'm the official scorekeeper, I'm going to go with Scaly Bird. Excellent. Um, he might be condescending, uh, but he is correct. The answer, is, the point goes to Scott, and the correct answer is Terrible Lizard from the Greek Dinos Soros. Oh, thank you, Maddie, for sharing with us <laughs> the thing we all knew, of course, which was the Greek roots of the word dinosaur. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. Are we feeling warmed up? Yeah, I let feel, me just... Yeah, very warmed up. Now, what I'd like to know is, how did we ever get to this point in our lives without <laughs> knowing that? <laughs> we, we're all uh, improving today. Uh, great. Our second question. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at you, Mandy. You're ra raring to go. Uh, our second question. Dinosaurs lived at the same time as which of these creatures? Is it A, early humans, B, woolly mammoths, C, saber-toothed cats, or D, sharks? This is Buzz. I say sharks. Do we get a redo on that? Because I stopped listening at B. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just frustrated again with the topic. I, I kind of blanked out, I got to admit. I, I'll just go with uh, sharks, because that's the only one I remember. <laughs> this is Mandy. The great thing about multiple choice, Mandy, is you could just say a letter. Uh, <laughs> all right, next time, next time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, this is Scott. I think the answer is sharks, indeed. Although uh, I wish that um, you know dinosaurs. There's like a touching story in there about like a May December romance between dinosaurs and woolly mammoths. You know, meeting at the end of one's life and the beginning of another. Billy, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, maybe uh, in the 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 next uh, the next iteration. Yeah. Some oh. some other plane. <laughs> yeah, it could be a holiday rom com. I think. <laughs> They're both wearing festive scarves. <laughs> uh, that uh, point for everybody. The correct answer is sharks. Sharks are also prehistoric creatures of a different uh, varietal. Mm. Mm -hmm. Hey, what do you call a blind dinosaur? You think you saw us? Buzz, thank you for that. You've just lost the point you had. <laughs> Scorekeeping is uh, contentious around here, so don't don't risk too much. Uh, great. Well, I'm going to bring us a little bit closer to home uh, for this next question. Uh, in 1835, Dexter Marsh discovered slabs of fossilized dinosaur tracks that are now on display at Amherst College's uh, Museum of Natural History uh, while, he, while he was laying a sidewalk in what Western Mass town? Mandy, uh, the answer is going to be A through D, so you can just pick a letter. Uh, is it A, Amherst, B, Deerfield, C, Greenfield, or D, Northampton? This is Scott. I I believe the answer is Deerfield, but I don't know why I believe that. I just know that I'm really smart. <laughs> I, I was going to say Deerfield, too, and I don't know why. Deerfield. Wow. 
Well, I thought for sure before you went on uh, with the list, Maddie, it was Holyoke. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to just say Holyoke. I think you're wrong across the board. <laughs> I, 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 don't tr- I don't trust your... Uh, e. I don't, she yeah. says E. E. That's right. E. <laughs> I gave you four letters to choose from Mandy, and Holyoke is not one of those I four want letters. E. <laughs> She's always been a trailblazer. <laughs> Uh, well, Dexter Marsh uh, was actually a resident of Greenfield, Massachusetts. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he uh, he wrote a letter over to uh, uh, Hitchcock at Amherst College, said, I think I found something cool. Hitchcock said, you did find something cool, and then took a lot of Dexter's credit. So justice for Dexter Marsh. <laughs> Do we know what kind of dinosaur that was? Something small and birdie. They identified them as turkey tracks. I think like the actual spe- specific... Dinosaurs. How anticlimactic <laughs> was that? <laughs> there are still uh, dinosaur tracks in Holyoke. I think that's, but they're still there. They're not in the Amherst Museum. Right, right. By the river. I've yeah. been there. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. that's fun. Put my foot in it. How, oh, wow. how do you how do you guys know so much and get the answer so wrong? That's what we, I want to know. We just get out of the radio station every now and then. <laughs> huh. All right. Uh, so we've thought very locally. Let's think a little bit more globally. Uh, which on which continent have the most dinosaur fossils been found? Pangaea. I win. That's all of them. Gosh, <laughs> darn it, Scott! You broke the game. Um, I'm going to say on which modern continent have most dinosaur fossils been found? Okay, smarmy. Okay, fine. Okay. All right. Let me just uh, loosen my ass, Scott, while you read the answers. Great, great, great. <laughs> I won't say what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> Thank you, because there are FCC rights here. <laughs> I'm watching out for you, Bill. <laughs> um, your options are A, North America, B, Asia, C, Europe, or D, Africa. I want to say I'm a little insulted that you had to read through continents for us. Is that... <laughs> I, I just, I'm like, this can't possibly be multiple choice. No, you really are giving us continents. It's early, but we're not dumb. I think we might have the first ever physical altercation in the comedy quiz history. So This is Buzz, and I am a homie. So I'm going to say North America. Oh, All right, this is Scott. I'm going to go with um, Asia. I mean, it's really big. You guys ever seen Asia? Uh, this is Mandy. I'm going to go with Canada. <laughs> the, the continent of Canada. <laughs> and I like to go with Australia. I know I don't get to vote, but I like to go with that. Are, are you talking Asia Minor or Asia Major? Oh, actually, I majored in theater. Uh, can we take points away from that, Bill? <laughs> Uh, all right. The correct answer was North America. Oh. A point for Buzz. Wow. So we live in like Dino City, huh? We sure do. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Dino right. City, USA. In a way, I get a point for Canada, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the right continent. Yeah. Half a point. Very good. Thank you. What's, Thank the, you. Uh, what's the point exchange rate right now between the U.S. and Canada? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, at the moment, Buzz Eisenberg had a point, lost a point. He has a point. He has one. Uh, uh, Mandy Anderson has one and a half points, and Scott Braidman has two. He is in the lead. Uh (laughs) All right. uh, Let's see if anyone can redeem themselves on our final multiple choice question. 
uh, what modern species of animals is considered to be a dinosaur? Is it A, the crocodile, B, a tuatara, <laughs> C, birds, or D, tortoises? Mandy, C, birds. I'm going with Mandy. Considered birds. to be a dinosaur? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Considered to be a dinosaur. You're talking about my grandma, right? Uh, uh, maybe you're... it's a dog. <laughs> you think you saw as Rex. Uh, uh, you're... There you go again, Buzz. You had a point that you had to lose it, didn't you? <laughs> well, oh gosh. I, I'm going to go, what was the last one? Turtles or tortoises? Tortoises. Tortoises. I, I guess I'll say tortoises because dinosaurs were reptiles. Uh, I guess I'll say tortoises. I don't know. I'm gonna go for it. Were the I'm ones gonna, that flew reptiles come out of my shell. Reptiles. I'm 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 pretty sure that all dinosaurs were reptiles. I know birds are very closely related, but they're not reptile. But maybe reptile isn't a prerequisite of being a dinosaur. I don't know. Maybe you just have to take dinosaur 101. That's I'm a done. lot of talk for the wrong answer, <laughs> Scott. The correct answer is in fact birds. There are oh. fossilized birds in the record, uh, and birds are the only dinosaurs that survived the mass extinction at the end of the Cretaceous period. And some of the things that we think of as flying dinosaurs weren't actually dinosaurs. They were just creatures that flew. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. So bird is the word. Bird. <laughs> I think Wait. Scott loses a point for that. <laughs> it's only fair for No, buzz. no, no. I was, I was going to say we'll have more non-multiple choice questions right after this. And it, it's not fair to take a point away f- just for that. Besides, Mandy, you are now in the lead. Congratulations. Uh, we'll be right back. More uh, comedy quiz. <laughs> Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden Stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping, too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Rush Doctors, Short Appointments. Is anyone listening? I'm Dr. Kate Atkinson, and I'm excited to announce that Atkinson Family Practice is now offering concierge medicine in addition to our main practice. An annual fee gets you access to an experienced, board-certified doctor who has fewer patients so they can devote more time to you. Atkinson Concierge Medicine. If your health concerns need more time, coordination, and advocacy, concierge might be right for you. Visit atkinsonfamilypractice.com slash concierge. You want to feel important. You want to be part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way, too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. But our part-time service in the Army National Guard means we get to be more. When our communities are in need, We get the chance to stand up and do something about it. We get to serve in our own region and help the people we call neighbors. From the coasts of Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Jersey, 
the small communities of Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania, to the dense forest of New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York, and historic Washington, D.C., we are here for our hometowns. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Aired by the Massachusetts Broadcasters Association and this station. I went everybody's head about the bird. Bird, bird, bird. The bird's a winner. Well, the bird, bird, bird. The bird is a winner. Well, the bird, bird, bird. Well, the bird is a winner. Well, the bird, bird. We continue our comedy quiz. The microphone is yours, Maddie Benjamin, and thank you all so very much for sharing with us that dinosaurs are birds, something we kind of knew but now know for sure. Thank you so much, Bill. I am here with panelists uh, Scott Braidman, Mandy Anderson, and Buzz Eisenberg with score creeper extraordinaire uh, Bill Newman, and we are ready for some open response questions. I'm not going to give you any letters to choose from, Mandy, so... Thank you for finally thinking we're intelligent. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, everybody ready? Ready. Cool. Ready. <laughs> all right. Known for its massive size uh, and by modern estimates, how long was the Tyrannosaurus Rex in feet? Closest answer wins. Tyrion, tip, tip of the nose to tip of the tail? Tip of the nose to tip of the tail. Huh. I've got a bone to pick with you on this yeah. question. <laughs> 40 feet long. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Wow. Um, well, you know, is it You closest? could say 39 or 41. Is it without going over? It's Clo- just closest. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say 47 feet long. Okay. I'll say 30 Four feet long. By modern estimates, the Tyrannosaurus Rex could have been as long as 43 feet. Oh, my goodness. Point to Buzz. Hard one point. Don't lose it, Buzz. (laughs) Uh, All right, folks. Let's let's redeem ourselves in the final moments. Talking about dinosaurs in in media, uh, the Jurassic Park series of films is based on a novel by what writer? Hmm, this is Scott, and the writer was Michael Crichton. The, the writer was Michael Crichton. <laughs> this is Mandy, and this is something that a lot of people don't know, is that Barbara Kingsolver actually <laughs> uh, wrote those yeah. books, and I think she should get a little more credit. Yeah, A really touching coming-of-age story with some complicated family dynamics. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think it was Charles Dickens. I think it was the best of times and worst of times. <laughs> uh, well, the correct answer is, in fact, Michael Crichton. Okay, very good. Everyone got a point. Let's go. <coughs> All right. Uh, in 1989, the U.S. Postal Service caused controversy when it issued four dinosaur stamps. The images on the stamps were the Tyrannosaurus, the Stegosaurus, the Pteranodon, and the Brontosaurus. Amongst dinosaur nerds, what was the heart of this controversy? This is Mandy. It's clearly because they didn't have the Pterachosaurus Rex as one of the stamps. And I was upset when this happened in 89. I think it was because they didn't have envelopes big enough. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this is Scott. Um, I believe the answer is the Brontosaurus because it was later revealed that they were 
when they discovered the brontosaurus it was actually bones from two different dinosaurs and the brontosaurus wasn't real but then maybe later it was real it's like a whole pluto situation scott gave the least fun answer but also the most correct the brontosaurus had since been reclassified as the apatosaurus and is no longer recognized as its own species of dinosaur so a point to Scott. Isn't Scott like insufferable to work with? Oh, yeah. He knows too no, many I things. No, I like him. <laughs> I uh, still have my favorite stuffy from when I was a kid, which is a Brontosaurus, who I named creatively Bronte. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill, where do we stand with our final scores? Okay, it's very, very close. Buzz Eisenberg has four, and so does Scott Braidman. And, well, Mandy, I don't know how to break this news to you. Uh, you're not as large in the scoring column as the others. What does that mean? Three? Two? Uh, two and a half, Mandy. So oh. really a great showing for your first time on the comedy quiz as a panelist. Doesn't she get a point for most dour? <laughs> yeah, where's my dour point? Yeah. Oh, and adding in the dour points that we forgot to put on. Mandy, you have won a hundred to three and a half. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Nailed it. We knew it could be done. Uh, and if you are interested in hanging out with some of these folks or maybe just learning some improv comedy. We have shows and classes at Happier Valley Comedy. Uh, we have a beginner workshop open for registration right now. Improv for Scaredy Cats. Never done improv before. A little nervous? That's okay. We got a space for you. It's open for registration now. It is in January. Uh, no experience required. We hope we see you there. Uh, and either way, I will see you guys next month on the Comedy Quiz. Hi, this is Tom from 4-H. What will the next 100 years look like for today's youth? According to the 4-H members of Hampshire counties, there are no limits. Youth, supported by adult 4-H club leaders, are being prepared to take on any role they can imagine. Astronaut, director, hockey player, surgeon, engineer, and CEO. These are just some of the roles that a recent survey shows that our 4-Hers not only dream about, but are preparing for. Join the 4-H team. Call me, Tom, at 413 413- Are you an immigrant worried about your future? Do you want to change your life? At Center for New Americans, you can take English classes for free. They help immigrants with jobs, licenses, healthcare, as well as immigration and citizenship. CNA helps you create a better future. Visit our website at cnam.org. Call 413-587. 0084. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. W Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. Bill, today from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, the UMass Clean Energy Extension Service and the Western Mass Solar Forum will be uh, providing a virtual forum to talk about development of uh, more solar uh, installations here in Western Massachusetts. Uh, It is a very timely subject. Um, We've just been deluged this year with rains and we're all very focused on climate change and solar is one of the uh, principal um, sort of uh, objectives 
in developing uh, in order to combat climate change. And it is just so timely because there was in the shoestring last week a piece that was written by local science writer and Smith College Journalism Concentration Director, uh, Dr. Nyla Moreira, and we are just so lucky to have Nyla here in studio with us. Hello, Nyla. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I was uh, floored by this piece. I read it and, frankly, reread it because it was so um, uh, well-written and it made a ton of information very accessible to the reader, but you really had a focus because the tension between developing solar and preserving our forest lands, the tension between uh, Massachusetts' uh, objective um, by 2030 to meet certain um, uh, goals and by 2050 to be net zero statewide mm -hmm. versus local control over what happens in our own communities. Mm -hmm. um, between local control and not-in-my-backyard kind of sentiments, um, over and over you just highlighted these dichotomies that are so important um, and I just want to congratulate you. I want to flag for people. The piece is called The Forest and the Trees. It's in the incredible The Shoestring. And Nyla, thank you for reading it. I guess where I want to start is uh, with a special town meeting that Shootsbury mm -hmm. held um, back in earlier this year. And tell us, number one, what was that special town meeting for? And what was the result of it? Well, so Shootsbury uh, is a um, obviously a local community that has had solar developments proposed for uh, their forest lands, and that would be 360 uh, acres of um, clear-cut forest, uh, which would be replaced by solar panels. Um, the land is owned by Coles, and the solar panels, um, well, the land would be leased for what the- What is Coles? Uh, Coles is a local um, land ownership and forestry company. Um, so they are actually uh, the largest landowner in the state. Uh, and so they um, they oversee a, a, a very large um, number of acres of forested land, uh, much of which- to their credit, is under conservation. Um, but uh, in Shootsbury, the proposal for this solar, um, sort of the solar consortium, it would be multiple parcels uh, totaling, um, totaling 360 acres, uh, was met with a lot of controversy um, by the local residents. Uh, and they put forward they, uh, a, a group called Smart Solar Shootsbury, an activist group, uh, assisted the town in developing a new solar bylaw, um, which would have heavily limited uh, the ability of companies like Coles and Pure Sky Energy, which is the um, which is the solar company that would put the panels there, uh, to build solar arrays um, in the town. So I just want to point out, this is, it, it was unique, but it's no longer unique. Wendell, Pelham, mm -hmm. Ashfield, a lot of municipalities have now tried to deal with the question of uh, solar installations and protecting either agrable land that can be mm -hmm. used for agriculture or forested land. So that's, right. that's the backdrop. The special town meeting did what? 
you know, I didn't. I have. I have to say, I did not keep track of the individual town meetings. I know the overall. Um, I know the overall uh, result here. Um, the overall result is that the um, the bylaw that was designed has been struck down by the attorney, state attorney general, uh, and the the hope of smart solar Shootsbury is to. Um, reinstate the bylaw, uh, in part because the, the AG's decision largely rested on some technicalities about notification. Um, so here's the deal. It passed mm-hmm. almost unanimously, this mm-hmm. bylaw, mm-hmm. that uh, required permitting and, and banned clear-cutting and, and took other measures that the, uh, the group in Shutesbury felt was appropriate. Obviously, the town of Shutesbury thought was appropriate. Passed it almost unanimously by the Attorney General about a month ago. Uh, notified them that they were striking down the bylaw because they didn't give proper notice uh, of a map that was part of the bylaw process. You have to give 14 days notice That's right. at a special town meeting. And also because of other law and a case in Massachusetts um, that says what? Yeah, so uh, there is an amendment called the Dover Amendment that um, yeah, it's, a, it's a state uh, law, it's a state amendment, and it prevents... Um, the quote-unquote unreasonable restriction of solar development, um, except in the case of threats to public health and safety. So it's a it's a it's a very problematic um, amendment for communities like Shutesbury and others that are uh, that are trying to assert some kind of control over uh, solar development in their communities um, because. They can say all they like about uh, what they want to see in their in in, in their neighborhoods, um, and that can then just be ruled um, uh, unlawful at the state level. You did um, such a great job, uh, Nyla Moreira, in explaining that uh, particularly one Shutesbury resident, who's part of a group of seven mm-hmm. who drafted this proposed this bylaw, um, Sharon Weisenbaum, points out. Uh, how deforestation uh, promotes carbon, uh, promotes uh, the kind of climate change we all would like to avoid because we need the forest for a variety of different reasons. But the Mm -hmm. Attorney General said it has to be promote public health and welfare, and you haven't made a strong enough case that our forests promote uh, public health and welfare. That befuddles me. Yeah, so I think that the maybe the key distinction there is is um, you know is it is it public health and safety or is it sort of broader welfare and how do we how do we measure welfare right? So uh, forests provide a whole host of benefits. They protect drinking water. They uh, they obviously they protect um, wildlife and um, and and plant life, uh, which we kind of commonly put under the buzzword of biodiversity. But I always I always like to sort of remind people that the word biodiversity sounds kind of big and academic, but we're really talking about like moose and bears and beavers and you know creatures, real real beings, um, and, and moss and uh, oh, the kind that live in a forest. <laughs> those, yes, <laughs> right, and eagles, uh, all of those things that we value so much, um, and I think that bring us a lot of um, a, a lot of positive uh, aspects to our life. But you know, um, I think the there there is right now an effort to amend the Dover Amendment uh, in order to allow communities to restrict solar for the sake of land preservation, um, ecological benefits, uh, 
these sort of ecological services that we expect from forests. Um, but that's kind of chugging along in the works, and we'll have to see where that goes. Um, so, Dr. Nyla Moreira, we, we've seen, um, and Bill, you know of this as well, the uh, River Valley Food Co-op, when they built their East Hampton, um, uh, they extended to East Hampton, they put solar installation over a parking lot, mm-hmm. which seems to be a kind of smart way to do things. You don't have mm-hmm. to uh, rob us of agrable land. You don't have to rob us of forests. Um, it, Bill, I'm, uh, why aren't we doing more of that is the question. Well, let me turn the question around and ask uh, Professor Nala Moreira this mm-hmm. question. You teach writing and science writing at Smith College. So you have, I understand, a lot of professional writing ethics so maybe this is an unfair question, but I would like to ask you the question that Buzz just posed to me, which is, where do you come out on this? Uh-huh. How do you reconcile the need for more solar with the need to preserve forests? Absolutely. And, you know, Bill, un- unsurprisingly, you're, you're asking the big question that is the, the crucial question here. How do we balance our urgent need for uh, solar development growth um, and protection of climate against these other values like protection of forests. Um, You know, Buzz, going back to the parking lot idea, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful if we could just see all our solar panels on parking lots, on roofs, um, you know, both residential roofs and some of these enormous uh, rooftops like Walmart or Staples, right? Where are the solar panels there? it's, it turns out it's a pretty complicated issue, uh, but as usual, it comes down to one thing, which is money. Uh, it's really expensive to build parking lot solar in particular. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's like $2 for ground-mounted solar uh, on clear-cut forest um, per per kilowatt, I believe, uh, and um, $5 on parking lots. on rooftops. Um, You know, many rooftops are not designed for the weight of solar panels, especially some of the sort of the big box stores. Um, Those roofs just can't, they'd have to be completely redesigned to accommodate the solar. And so, um, you know, uh, Cinda Jones, who is the CEO of Kohl's, uh, gave gave a a talk at one point where she said, you know, I am uniquely able to um, move quickly on providing solar power. to, to the state, right? And I think this is the question we have to ask ourselves. How fast do we want to go? How much do we want to pay? Um, and what sacrifices do we want to make? And I think, you know, B- um, Bill, you asked where I come down on this. And I think the statistic for me that's really important is that um, development is the, is the largest source of deforestation in Massachusetts. And a full quarter of that development, all development, right? Like Building for houses, building for malls and 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 new um, um, new roads and any kind of development. A full quarter of the development that's causing uh, deforestation in Massachusetts right now is solar. That's a lot for one purpose. And do we need solar? Yes. Do we want to be losing that much forest land to solar power? I have to say it where I come down is no. Well, in your article. Um you you point out, Nyla, that <clears throat> um, uh, I'm losing the... Here we are. 40% of Massachusetts forests by 2050, um, according to our aspiration that we be net zero by 
um, by 2050, mm-hmm. uh, 40% of our forests should be protected. And at the same time, a quarter of our forests are protected right now by conservation measures. That's right. So um, doesn't it make sense that the state should be regulating deforestation in the context of our, those aspirations, the 2050 aspirations. Absolutely. So, you know, we need seven to 10 times the amount of solar that we have to meet our net zero goals by 2050, which is a lot. You know, I, I heard it phrased to me, um, uh, we need as much solar as we can build. Um, so I don't think there are really any, um, there are really any folks working in this area who would say that we can avoid ground-mounted solar on forests and farmlands completely. Um, but that said, there's a number of uh, aspects to this question that I think we, we really can address. Uh, first of all, we have um, subsidies like the SMART subsidy, which are really encouraging companies to, um, to build solar on the cheapest available land. Uh, and at the same time, uh, customers who might be residential customers or um, municipalities or nonprofits, uh, they're facing a lot of regulations that make it quite onerous to put um, solar on on buildings, on parking lots. Um, so permitting, um, you know, the, the, the process in the United States takes about six months. I'm told that in Australia, it takes two days um, to permit uh, rooftop solar. So, you know, there's a lot of... That's why we call them down under, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of regulatory hurdles that we could be addressing. Um, and and indeed, the state has the opportunity to uh, start digging into these, um, these regulatory issues uh, when they, um, they, they have a commission that is meeting now uh, that is uh, explicitly looking at solar siting. We are talking to Dr. Nyla Marrera about her incredible article. It really is an incredible article, The Forest and the Trees, in the wonderful uh, publication, The Shoestring. Um, it is an exhaustive look at this conversation that we are uh, having right now. When we come back, I want to ask uh, Nyla about, well, local control and how it fits into this profile. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. Twenty years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone. Two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build solar right and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Sam the Minuteman is once again hosting his rockin' New Year's Eve party on Saturday, December 30th as the UMass men's basketball team takes on Siena at 1 p.m. Young UMass fans can enjoy poster making on the concourse, a photo booth, a halftime ball drop, and post-game layups on the court. Youth tickets for the game are just 5 bucks. Bring in the new year a day early with Massachusetts men's basketball by visiting UMassAthletics.com tickets. Go 
know you. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with our conversation with uh, multi-skilled uh, well, she's a professor, she's a journalist, she's a scientist. Dr. Nyla Moreira is the author of a number of books, including a chil- children's novel, but uh, we're focused on The Forest and the Trees, a recent piece that was uh, p- published in The Shoestring. And I wanted to ask you, I sort of teased this before we went on a break, um, uh, Nyla, about this issue of no- local control. Should local municipalities be able to determine what happens with their land through zoning bylaws, or should the state be able to circumvent local will and tell us what we should be doing in our communities with respect to, well, an aspiration we all join in, which is uh, being net zero as a state by 2050? What sure. say you? Yeah, so um, it, this is a pretty complicated question, I think, because... I mean, we do, we, we, we sort of vaunt local control, right? We want people to be able to control their own communities. We want people to be able to have a say on what happens on the land near them. And we want also people to be able to protect the local environment. Uh, at the same time, um, we don't live in a world of tiny little packages. We live in an interconnected world. We live in a world where we do all have some kind of responsibility to one another and not only responsibility to one another, but effect on one another. Um, and so... When we're asking about what kind of control communities should have over solar power development in their region, right, we're talking here um, about destruction of forest lands for solar power, and we're really focusing in on the Shutesbury uh, case, which would be the largest um, solar development in the state, uh, and they're, you know, they're, they're trying to stop it. Um, should they be able to stop it, or should we here in Massachusetts be willing to take some responsibility for, for our own um, energy consumption? There is a lawsuit uh, by Pure Sky Energy Solar Company. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us about well about Pure Sky and about their claim in this lawsuit? Sure. So Pure Sky Energy uh, would be leasing um, this land uh, for forty-five watts of solar energy, uh, and Shutesbury has a bylaw, as we were speaking about earlier, um, limiting solar power. Um, it was actually recently struck down by the AG for some technicalities, but Attorney they're working. Attorney General's office. Uh, yeah, uh, to, they're working to put it back together, um, sort of to delete the technicalities um, and put it back together. But there is this lawsuit by Pure Sky Energy um, against uh, the town saying that they are unreasonably uh, restricting um, solar development. And so, uh, you know, Pure Sky Energy is um, co-owned by um, two multinational asset management firms. They're called Fiera Capital Corporation and Palisade Infrastructure Group. Uh, And so that's another question, right? We have the state on one side um, making statements on what communities can do uh, in terms of control of their their area, their environment. And then we also have these gigantic corporations um, 
bringing a lot of wealth and power to bear uh, on small communities that have much more limited resources. And is that something we really want to see, even if the presumption is, okay, you know, this is solar power, this is good for everyone. Well, you know, aren't there ways we could do solar power that would be better for everyone and actually allow some local, better local control over that solar power itself? So regulatorily, Bill, um, what the state says is you cannot ban solar development. However, you can reasonably regulate it. And what we're fighting over here is what's reasonable regulation. So, uh, Smith Professor Anala Marrera, you teach science writing. You've written this uh, comprehensive uh, piece for the shoestring. What I would like to know and understand better is how much land is available for solar development that would not require or involve deforestation. Uh, destroying habitat seems like a horrible idea. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, increasing the amount of solar energy production seems like a very good idea. So the question is, can both be done? Is there enough land, open land, uh, for this siting of uh, solar installations? Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, this is a question that's been under vigorous debate. Um, I think we're starting to come down increasingly firmly on the idea that there is enough land. Uh, there um, is a recently published um, Mass Audubon report. Um, it was published in October. Uh, it's called uh, Growing Solar, Protecting Nature. Um, and that report um, took a look at all available land in the state and concluded that there was some um, like 30 gigawatts of space available on uh, rooftops, parking lots, and disturbed lands. Um, and what lands? Disturbed lands. So that would be, uh, you know, um, landfills or maybe highway medians, um, areas where the land is not high biodiversity, high quality farmland, um, you know, lands that we really want to preserve. So the solar installations that we see when we're driving down the Mass Pike, mm -hmm. those are uh, those are good solar installations because mm -hmm. wildlife isn't going to survive very much, very well, or very much along the Mass Pike. Uh, the land's available. Put it there. Put That's them right. there. That's a good place. That's right. Yes, but you know we should also clarify, and there are a number of people who kind of come down on this side of the equation. I've spoken to, um, especially you know, solar developers um, and others who say that uh, reports like um, the Mass Audubon report. Uh, there's a report by the state called the Technical Potential of Solar that found very similar results. Um, they say that a lot of the land is not actually available. They say, well, the sun shines on it, but there's other hurdles, engineering hurdles to um, being able to put solar on that space. Like maybe it's a rooftop that faces the wrong direction or where you'd have to cut down trees um, there in order to make use of the solar, you know, overhanging um, branches and so forth that people might want uh, shading their house. Um, and you I know, think, Nyla Marrero, mm -hmm. we don't have to look any further than my neighboring town sure. of Williamsburg. There's about a 20-acre installation there. And even though the land that they used was okay, the consequences from a runoff resulted in a, in a, I think the developer had to pay millions of dollars in damages, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there are, um, there have been uh, sort of problematic cases. Um, uh, I So you mentioned Williamsburg. Yes. Uh, and yes, in that case, there were illegal releases of stormwater that damaged like 
100,000 square feet of forest land and resulted in the developer paying like $1.4 million in damages. Um, and so, you know, we have to recognize that there's there's these risks that exist no matter where solar is placed. Um, uh, ideally, um, these developers would not break the law, but you know, we, we don't have a great track record uh, in the United States of being able to completely um, uh, in, enforce our environmental regulations. So we but always have to be prepared for something like right. this Right, circling happen. back to both Bill, Bill's question and where you started talking about the complexity of this, mm -hmm. that was a situation in which the siting was in an okay site, mm -hmm. but the water runner, uh, runoff destroyed uh, land and sure. habitat and resulted in a million and a half do dollar judgment against the developer. So, right. I mean, it was located alongside some, some sort of nice forest land. So we could argue about the position of the, of yeah. the, of the siting. Um, but, um, you know, I think that, uh, coming back to, do we have enough land? The other consideration there, which is an important consideration in the Mass Audubon report, um, they noted that e e that their mid-range forest conservation plan would still result in uh, 900 million extra um, dollars of, of cost. Um, and that would have to be borne by somebody, by taxpayers, by rate payers, uh, you know, t utility rate payers, by someone. Um, I, and, and this is another issue for um, for solar on land that is that is not where we can't do ground mounted solar, um, it's going to cost more. And I've been told by by many people that for disturbed lands, for land where you could put ground mounted solar, uh, but it's not great land, um, that land is rapidly disappearing in Massachusetts. It's almost all gone. I would like to ask this question that seems to be another elephant in this room, this discussion, which is, what about farmland? It's already open. Mm -hmm. How about taking farmland and using that for solar farms, as they call it? Is that a viable, reasonable idea? That is another highly controversial topic. Um, you know, farmland can be a really, uh, I think, a really great option for solar, both for the farmer's uh, and for our overall energy needs. We'll put a lot of pressure on farmers to sell out to the solar <laughs> developers because they got billions and farmers sure. have, a, have a hard go of it. That's, and, that's, uh, and you just put your finger on a, a sort of a, a, a big ethical problem there, right? It's, it's, uh, if the land becomes highly profitable for solar developers, are we going to just push farmers off of farming um, in order to uh, support this solar development and support not only the solar development for our energy needs, but also the profit motive of these large, um, often multinational companies. And so uh, while it can be a real support to farmers who may be having difficulty holding onto their land, um, especially given climate change, right, where we have, uh, we have more rain, we have more drought, we have all kinds of environmental considerations that are making it very difficult to farm, um, and solar can give farmers a boost but I, but I also want to, you know, it's no insight to either of you. You both are aware. We, t we call them local heroes. Mm -hmm. And we say part of the carbon problem is we ship food from long distances. We're trying to promote local agriculture in order to not uh, increase our carbon footprint by our diet. And, um, we, you know, we support, if, if, if CISA, Phil, and other people were here in the room, they would say, please, let's reserve farmland for farming for agriculture. It, uh, your right. article is just another 
uh, sort of tension, another balance that we have to find. Bill just asked another guest, and I'm going to ask you the question that Bill just asked that other guest, which is, it's a holiday season. It's the end of the year. We're going to be making resolutions about how rosy next year can be. Can you end us with some optimism here? I think there's a lot of optimism surrounding this question, honestly. And I, I, I you know, as I mentioned before, I c tend to come down on the side of let's preserve as much forest land as we can. Let's do everything we can to avoid having solar placed on farmland. And that's because I think we do have so many good options. Um, we have the opportunity to revamp our regulatory and permitting system to make it much more attractive for homeowners to put solar on their roof, for businesses to put solar on their roofs. Um, we have the opportunity, uh, like we could, like we've done in California, to require solar atop new developments, uh, which would enable us to prepare buildings for solar from the get-go, rather than having to retrofit them, which tends to be expensive. Um, we we have, you know, I think we just have so many chances to make non-ground-mounted solar. Uh, both attractive and um, ultimately, uh, you know, bringing, bringing its financial and energy benefits to individuals across our community. I think we just need to be creative and, and proactive about this. Well, Dr. Nyla Marrera, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. It's, it's very edifying to read this piece. Uh, the Shoestring is an incredible uh, publication, and people, if they don't know about it, should look into it, and I hope you continue doing pieces like this. It's really important for us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We will be right back right after this. Yeah, I can. My cheeks in hot color, overripe peaches. No shirt, no shoes, only my features. My boy behind me, he's taking pictures. Boys and girls onto the beaches. Come on, come on. This is see. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Another bomb threat at the Bay Davis Synagogue in Florence came in on Sunday. Massachusetts State Police Bomb Squad was dispatched after an email was received threatening multiple Jewish synagogues and centers across the state. The synagogue, which shares a space with the Florence Congregational Church and the Bombeck Center for Arts and Equity, had received a similar threat nearly a month earlier. A man who broke into an Amherst home in the middle of the night in March of 2021 stole several items and then attempted to flee the house with the 20-month-old toddler was sentenced to serve 8 to 10 years in state prison, followed by 5 years on probation. 39-year-old Jimmy Sanchez pleaded guilty in Hampshire Superior Court yesterday. Assistant DA Matthew Russo says the significant prison sentence provides justice to the victim in the wake of an unthinkable incident. The heavy rainstorm yesterday dumped several inches of rain in the Northeast, triggering historic flooding levels for the month of December. Greenfield declared a state of emergency, which is now over, due to the high water levels on the Green and Deerfield Rivers, flooding roads and parking lots. One person had to be rescued after driving their car into the floodwaters in Florence. In Williamsburg, schools released students early. Nearly 5,000 power outages were reported across Western Mass. Greenfield City Councilor Jasper Lipinski is resigning just over a month after the city elections. Lipinski was elected to the council last year and was supposed to represent Precinct 7 through 2025. However, the councilor told the recorder they were frustrated with the city council's inability to act on issues of concern to them and interpersonal conflicts that made meetings less than amicable. Lipinski's resignation follows the resignation of Doug Mayo in September, who represented Precinct 8. 
Partly sunny today, breezy, a high of 40 to 44. At least it'll be dry. Clear skies tonight, evening temperatures in the 30s, an overnight low of 18 to 24. Mostly sunny on Wednesday, a high of 42 to 46. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Get takeout, save 30%. Get candles or hit the links, save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. When you're going through a tough time and need to talk with a mental health care provider as soon as possible, walk into ServiceNet's clinic at 50 Pleasant Street in downtown Northampton any Wednesday between 10 and 2. We'll see you right away. Or call ServiceNet anytime to make an appointment. Talk therapy, medication management, and other specialized treatments. ServiceNet's team works together to provide the care you need all in one place. Walk in Wednesdays 10 to 2 or call anytime. Major phone carriers make you sign contracts with rigid data plans to trap you into a kind of forced phonogamy. Sounds pretty insecure if you ask me. At Consumer Cellular, we believe in a more consensual and healthy form of phonogamy, free of contracts and more flexible to your data needs. This way, you stick around not because we force you to with contracts and fees, but because you love our phone plans. Like ardently love our phone plans. Phonogamously. Consumer Cellular. When Freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect. Certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor. They seemed to be at ease. I hung around. Now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are so pleased to have back with us in the studio Gwen Agna, the beloved teacher and longtime principal of the Jackson Street School and as well a member now of the Northampton School Committee. Uh, Gwen Agna, it's such a treat to have you with us. Shelley Routner, you are a longtime well-known author of children's book, and you two have gotten together with a new book. Uh, there is a book launch coming up soon at Forbes and as well at the Eric Carle Museum. The title of the book, Finding Home, Words for Kids, Sinking Sanctuary. Gwen Agna and Shelley Routner, thank you both so very much. Shelley, of course, these are your, these are your photographs, and I want to tell you I have a photograph of yours that was... Uh, that is of my daughter, my eldest daughter, when she was, well, very young, and she was your subject that you who you used to photograph for your book, Nature Spy. It's a beautiful photo. We really do treasure it, and we thank you for that. Gwen, we thank you for all you've done for all the students in Northampton for so many, many years. What a combination, the two of you. Tell us how this book came about. Oh, we should also note, of course, that we have these two readings in the book launch at Forbes and at the Eric Carl. So we want to hear about all of that. Let's hear about how the book came about. Do you want to start? Who would like to start? Well, I can start. Okay. 
Sure. Um, so for those who don't know, um, Gwen and I, this is our second book, Collaborating. Our first book was called True You, which um, Gwen is supposedly retired, but anybody who knows Gwen knows that's not really true. Yeah, that's an oxymoron. I got it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I knew she had a lot of books in her with her knowledge and just from the times I visited Jackson Street. So she came up with the idea for True You. But after we finished, there was a lot of um, information and news stories about all the families that were starting to move to the valley here who were displaced, um, coming really from all over. And we started meeting these families, and it was also in that kind of photojournalistic style where the kids speak their words, which we're finding is really powerful and empowering and I just feel so lucky to be working with Gwen and also that these families and kids have let us in their lives to oh. help share their stories. So many pictures, many photographs, I'm sorry, in, in this book, the moving, moving, beautiful photographs of kids and families. Uh, the words are all theirs. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you, well, got those words. Well, Shelley's brilliant at her photography as well as bringing out the words from the children. And she takes the photographs with her iPhone, which is amazing. No. Yes. And you take... I'm a little embarrassed to admit that. <laughs> oh, but, but it's fantastic. There's a reason. She's yeah. able to take those photos and then show them right away to the children, and they are so pleased. And then we can talk with them, and I take notes quickly as what they say about what they're thinking and how they feel about coming to this country. Um, so quickly, they've had to kind of escaped some very difficult situations and come without much. One of them said, all I had was my backpack. And uh, so it's really been an amazing process to talk with these kids. And, Shall you know, the, the kids are used to iPhones, sadly so, that everybody's a photographer more or less now. So they're not, they're relaxed. Mm -hmm. And then they become interactive. Oh, I see. You're saying because they are used mm -hmm. to and, and familiar with iPhones, it's not something right. that's off-putting or causes tension. Yeah, we, it, we try to make it fun, and um, they they have a lot to say. They really do, and they want to be seen mm -hmm. and heard. And, oh, so know. tell us this, Finding Home, Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary, uh, the two of you collaborated. This is your second book with this theme. Where are the kids from? What can you tell us? And I obviously don't want to do anything that jeopardizes it. No, we don't ever kids. use names, but okay. they're from all over. Yeah. Um, I initially met three families who were put in like a mansion in Amherst until they could get placed in their own apartments. So on, on day one, I met three families, and each family had three, three kids. And um, through Catholic Charities, they helped me find families a lot. I joined a circle of care. So I was an educational coordinator um, because once you get involved and know these people, it's, it, you just want to help. You know, it's just anything to make their lives better. Um, some of the families do pop-up food um, so they can be supported. Um, and, you know, there are families in Springfield. I went to Chicopee, um, wherever just to get the diversity. And when the book was almost done, when we started meeting families from Ukraine, because on the timeline, that happened a little later. Um, 
coming here. So the first book was True You. This book is Finding Home, Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary. I'd love to know what kind of reaction. I know there's been really positive reaction in the world of uh, 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 children and advocates and uh, in, the, in the book world. Uh, what kind of a reaction have you received, both of you, from these two books? I think um, it's been a little bit surprising, but not um, uh, unexpected that we had some pushback for True You, because it's True You, and a, a gender and, uh, journey, yes. it's called, and it's about looking for your identity and exploring um, that. And even though I think there are a lot of people in the Valley who feel that that's just part of growing up, there are people in our Valley and all around the uh, country who have some difficulty with that. So... We have been sort of surprised and not happy about the fact that there have been some people who really don't feel like this is an appropriate book for our our children. We were sort of hoping it would get banned, actually, and uh, we're still hoping that because I think that that will get the attention that and more in a positive way, believe it or not. But I think um, Finding Home may have some pushback as well because there's a lot of uh, difficulty around accepting the fact that we are a, a safe haven for many immigrants who are coming and, and refugees. And it may also get that same kind of response. And, you know, I, I was, when I first started in Northampton, there were Vietnamese and Cambodian refugees that I, I taught um, reading classes to when I first started in Northampton. And then we had Balkan families, Kosovo and Serbia, who came when I first started to be Jackson Street principal and after that, we had uh, children from Pakistan, and we had children from Congo. So I think Northampton doesn't realize sometimes how many refugees we've been able to welcome here. And I think this is a way to celebrate that and what they bring to our community. Let me turn from Gwen Agnes to Shelley Routner. Shelley? Well, you know, this the same, you know, what, what Gwen said, that I have always been about inclusivity, so to me, there wasn't a labeling ever, but more of a focus on a particular subject. What about pushback from you? You've been, you've been in the public sh publishing world for a long time. Have you received pushback on either one or both of these books? Well, the same as what Gwen said, you know, true you. Um, I think people were excited at first and very open, but then they were the ones, the receivers got the pushback and were weren't sure if it was okay to have like the books in their library. This book is, the pub date is January 9th. So even though we're getting very nice reviews now, it hasn't really been out in the world yet. Is it but, available now at local independent bookstores or not? Yeah, for pre-order. The, the pub date is January 9th. Which Publication is, is the magic date where the, yes. the, the chariot turns into a pumpkin or the pumpkin turns <laughs> right. into a chariot, and, and it's you, okay to sell them. Mm -hmm. right? And you have a book birthday. And you, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, while we're on that, Tell us about the uh, launch party or parties. Well, the first one is at the Eric Carl on January 20th at 11 a.m. And we're organizing carpools, and we're hoping to get a lot of the families and kids to come. And if anybody wants to speak their speech bubble or comment or take questions, they're welcome. We did that with True You, and we had, I don't know, maybe it was about eight kids sitting on the stage with us. Mm -hmm. Wow. And And... It's just we're so lucky. So that's the that's that's the uh, party, the launch at the right. Carl. We'll read the book and um, tell us again when that will be at the Eric Carl Museum. That's January twentieth 
at 11 o'clock. And the one at Forbes? And then we have one at Forbes, which is on February 10th, and it's also going to be in the morning. And Broadside Bookshop is sponsoring it with us, and we'll have books for sale there, as well as the Carl. I just want to circle back. Um, true to talk about true you um, on the front page of today's globe I don't know if you saw this police went to a Berkshire middle school in Great Barrington there was a complaint um, about a uh, about child pornography that the school had a book that was uh, you know tainting the child with sexual imaging the book is called gender queer a memoir police went to the school went into the school and found out in fact that it was really a book that was being sanctioned by a teacher and they decided to leave the district attorney said this is something the berkshire hills regional school district should deal with it's not a criminal matter but a parent had seen it as a crime the police thought that in fact there was a distribution of Horrific things. This was a, uh, and the, again, the book was gender queer, a memoir. I'm just mentioning it because Gwen, you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I hope it gets banned. I hope books don't get banned. Mm -hmm. I know you think that as well, but I just thought I didn't want to leave this mm -hmm. segment without pointing out that it's alive and yeah. well. This play, and not saw. only in this state, across the yeah. country. And at first, it was actually people said it was good getting banned because more people looked at the book and bought the book, but. There's so many banned books. Uh, for, banning for books is in and of itself, yes. per se, bad. Right. It is, yeah. definitely. I think that um, the attention that it gets helps those who feel that this is speaking for them. And that's the important part. And the fact that police were called really is so awful to think It's about. horrible. But hopefully yeah. finding home will be more welcome. Mm -hmm. It will find many places. But I just wanted to say at this point that our books are really for everybody. You know, this book, Finding Home, isn't just for kids in similar situations. You know, it's our hope that this will help welcome kids and promote empathy and be a springboard for conversations. Um, what could be better for a pluralistic society? Right. But we have a movement, we know, on the far right that's trying to demonize the people who come from other countries, and I think this will help. I hope those children who are here already and those who may have to come. We'll be back with more Finding Home, Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary, right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary, and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Sweeten up your holiday parties with gingerbread cookies, chocolate hazelnut seashells, vanilla Hanukkah cookies, and mini Dresden Stolen. It's all at the co-op. Sweet treats, the holiday roast, fresh seafood, beer and wine, and lots and lots and lots of local farm fruits and vegetables. Do a little gift shopping, too. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. 
Hi, this is Jane Wolf, Senior Vice President of Residential Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hi, this is Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish everyone a safe and happy holiday season. Hi, this is Julie and Ashley, wishing everyone a cheerful, stress-free holiday season and a delightful new year. Hi, I'm Brendan O'Connor. I'm Ethan McCandless. And I am Luke Parsons. From the credit department at Greenfield Cooperative Bank, happy holidays. Hi, this is Teresa from the 63 Federal Street Office of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I would like to wish all of our customers and their families a Christmas that's merry and bright and a happy new year filled with love, health, and happiness. Hi, I'm Dawn. And I'm Erica from the Florence Branch of Northampton Cooperative Bank. We We would would like like to extend our best wishes to our customers, families, and friends for a happy holiday season and a happy new year. Cheers. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Gwen Agna and Shelley Rotner, who is the who are together the authors of Finding Home Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary. The photographs are by Shelley. She is a distinguished and well-known photographer. Gwen, of course, one of the leading and most cherished educators here in Northampton. Finding Home Words from Kids Seeking Sanctuary. Here's what I'd like to know from both of you. This is a beautiful book. It's, it tells an exquisite tale or tales of kids coming to this country. And I know you knew a lot about this before you started, but I'm wondering if this experience of writing and photographing uh, has changed you in some way. Let's start with you, Gwen. Yeah, I think it has in terms of my, well, my heart was there for welcoming the children that I was able to do over the course of my time in education. But the fact that that was sort of internal in our school and that what I found in this is that the children who volunteered to be, I mean, we contacted them, but their families were very proud and really wanted people to know their stories. And I think that I was always protective of the children when they were in our school, but I think that this is a way for them to say, we're here and please um, pay attention to us. And I, I learned that people are very, very proud of where they came from. So that was really important to me. Shelley? Um, yes, I, I felt also that um, they, they were just always so happy to see me because I showed up from my heart. And it's true, initially, I, it was part of my work, but it, it, you can't not get involved with these lovely families and people and want to help in any way you can. How did the two of you find each other and this project together? Well, we found each other when I was about to retire. Shelley came by the school because we had worked together on other projects, not for me writing, but, you know, to get um, candidates for her books. And she proposed that we think about doing something together. So we were able to find a way to get together on True You, and then uh, it was an extension of our work together that we decided we wanted to do more for children uh, with, as Shelley called it, a journalistic point of view. And True You was part of was an extension of your work as a principal, as an educator? Oh, definitely. There were a lot of children exploring their identities. And fortunately, the kind of school that Jackson Street is and all the schools in Northampton are very supportive of children exploring 
some of their families are exploring, so they're modeling that. And sometimes it's really a surprise. I've been also writing another book for Teachers College Press, and I've noted in it that we had a responsibility not to tell families at first when their children were exploring because sometimes it was upsetting to them to hear that they were exploring. So it's, it's something that I was very familiar with as an educator. And happy enough with True You that you did it again. Yes. Yeah. You know, when a collaboration works, it works. And it makes an idea grow bigger. And also, um, I don't know how much time we have left, but we have extensive back matter. But the last page is really important in the book, which is the message. It's a picture of about eight kids giving the peace sign. And it's basically our hope to... Um, to say that we, we, we wish for peace for everybody in the world. Shelley Rodner, so. Gwen Agna, thank you both so very much. The book is Finding Home, Words from Kids, Seeking Sanctuary. You can order it now at your local independent bookstore. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Want Bill to know Newman more and about Buzz local Eisenberg. History, literature, and education? Hilltown Families bi-monthly Learning Ahead Cultural Itineraries offer an easy way to delve into Western Mass culture and traditions. These new seasonal itineraries are produced in collaboration with a humanities scholar and community education expert, offering ways for self-directed teens and lifelong learners to engage in learning that helps shape a sense of place. Funded by a year-long grant from Mass Humanities, you can download guides anytime free of charge at hilltownfamilies.org. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org.